John the Baptist said to the crowds that had come out to hear what he had to say, You brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Would you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. For 16 days in a row, Every day for 16 days in a row, my two-year-old son has scarfed down his food at the breakfast table with reckless abandon. Cheerios and yogurt and eggs and bread have flown from plate to mouth to the wall to the floor like the Tasmanian devil himself were having breakfast with us. And with the final mouthful on 16 days in a row, he has triumphantly declared, I'm done! And then he will stare at our pantry with gleeful expectation. We will, the good parents we are, we will, of course, reorient his demeanor and his disposition to the Christmas tree advent calendar, where he practices counting his numbers in order to pick a magnetic ornament to hang on the tree to count every day as we get to closer to Christmas Eve. But all he really wants is his Incredibles-themed chocolate advent calendar that we have hidden away in the pantry. He will sit there with his little fingers twittering like the mad scientist he is, and his eyes will dart all across that thin cardboard box until he finds the right number. He will rip it to shreds, and he will stick a terrible piece of chocolate in his mouth, and he will scarf it down all while smiling from ear to ear. (laughs) Happy Advent. And I'll admit, there is part of me. Something in me as a father, as a, as a Christian that just wells up with all kinds of joy and love as I see my son with his daily practice. It's behind the frenetic eating patterns, the impatience of ingesting sugar at 7 o'clock in the morning. There is, there is anticipation. There is awaiting. There is an excitement for what is yet to come. At least that's how I felt until I read something this week. There's a a great preacher, her name is Fleming Rutledge, and her sermons are the kind that when I read them, it makes me feel like I'm a terrible preacher. And I was reading through a collection of her old Advent sermons this week, and I came across one on the very same text that Deirdre read for us, the text about John the Baptist. And this is how she begins her sermon. It's the very first line of her sermon. She said, I've always wanted to design my own Advent calendar. You would open up one of those cute little windows, and there on the other side would be John the Baptist glaring at you, saying, You brood of vipers. Imagine. Imagine a wildly bedraggled man smelling up to high heaven, clothed in camel's hair with honey stuck in his beard, jumping out at you from behind one of your favorite Christmas decorations, only to shout, Merry Christmas, you filthy animal. Because that's John. That's John the Baptist. I'm sure some of you are thinking, John the Baptist, again? Didn't we have to hear about this guy last week? And you'd be right. John the Baptist is back. This crazy prophet is back again. But this time, his words, they haunt us. You brood of vipers. In Advent, there are plenty of other people we'd like to hear about. Want to hear from Gabriel or Mary or Joseph? But John the Baptist, he is the central person of this season of being in the in-between. He is one who stands with one foot in each of the ages. He rests between how things are and how things ought to be. He is the last and he is the greatest of all the Hebrew prophets. Because with every new prophet, 
There were ideas, decorations about the coming Messiah, and they increased and increased until they reached their electrifying zenith when John says, you need not wait any longer. The Messiah is coming. I've said this a lot already, but Advent is a really strange time in the life of the church. It is really challenging to take our fingers and put them on the theological pulse of the season and how we're supposed to feel about it. Because John, he starts his ministry. The very first words we have recorded of him in all of Scripture is calling people a brood of vipers. On the other hand, I can't tell you the number of churches who are spending their Advent season this year doing a series like How to Find Jesus in the Peanuts, like the Charlie Brown comic. Or Christmas through the movies, in which they'll play you a scene from the Santa Claus and talk about how God is moving behind the scenes. Or they'll have a series something like The best present is your presence. Those types of things are fine. They draw forth deep and warm waves of emotions regarding the season. And they are the theological version of taking a tiny piece of stale and terrible chocolate and eating it for breakfast every morning. But they don't really have anything to do with Advent. Because the readings we encounter this time of year, they don't leave us dreaming of sugar plums dancing in our heads. They don't leave us feeling fuzzy and familiar fantasies. John the Baptist called us filthy. I think it would drive the early church crazy if they could see what we look like now. With our cute little angels and our perfect little unblemished Virgin Marys that we use to decorate our homes. I think they would be baffled, those from the early church, if they could walk around Woodbridge and see all of the electrical lights we have strung up on our rooftops and seeing all the inflatable cartoon characters we have hanging out on our grass. Which, to be clear, I love those things. I put our Christmas lights up two weeks before Thanksgiving. I love those things about Christmas. But we've also got to admit that the way we do Advent, the way we do Christmas, it's pretty sanitized. No one puts up an angry John the Baptist inflatable or an ornament on the tree. And yet Christmas, the season, the thing we're preparing for right now is a stark and frightening transformation of the world. It is definitely worthy of us singing, Joy to the world. But God will not leave the world the way that it is. That's the story of Christmas, what Advent leads to. God redeems God's people. But we only need redeeming because we're broken. You only need grace when you have sin. It is a broken world of ours that is in need of redemption. The good news of this season of waiting, of putting our feet in two different times, is not just that Jesus arrives, but that Jesus arrives and it changes people like you and me. Fleming Rutledge, the woman who wants to design her own Advent calendar, she says Advent forces us to look at the dark side of ourselves. I don't need to take the time to regale all of you about stories of how broken our world is. All you need to do is go home and turn the news on. All of us know how messed up things really are. No matter how many sentimental decorations we have, or how many gallons of eggnog we've consumed, or how many carols we've belted out the top of our lungs, we know that things really are as bad as they seem. And the worst of all is that we're not innocent. We're guilty for why the world is the way it is. Because we are filthy animals. We are a brood of vipers. 
And that sounds judgmental. John sounds judgmental. We don't like judgmental people. He spends the majority of his proclamation exhorting the people with ears to hear a to-do list. Do this, don't do that, and it's just plain exhausting. He sounds like the preacher who gets down out of the pulpit and points his finger at everyone in the congregation. Don't you think John knows how busy we are at this time of year? We've got plenty of other things we have to do. So I don't know about you. I don't like being called a viper. I don't like being called a filthy animal. I don't like feeling judged. But here's the rub. Those of us who don't like hearing about judgment in church, we are usually the ones who have reason to fear being judged. Or to put it another way, we who protest the judgmental behavior of others usually suffer from that same disposition without even realizing how judgmental we are. Advent is the time where all that has been, all that is, and all that will be is made known to God. It is a time when all that we are is opened up to the divine. Our inner thoughts, our thoughts, our knee-jerk reactions, our biases, our prejudices, our everything. We are laid bare and judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. If you're able, I'd like each of you to take out a Bible from your pew for a second. Just hold it in your hand. Everyone should have it on their, on their pew. Just hold the Bible in your hand. Feel the weight of it. Feel the weight of it. Uh, we have a remarkable thing very close to us in D.C. It's called the Bible Museum. It's a wonderful place. Uh, they have a, a new exhibit that went up this week. They have a very rare and special Bible. It's kind of like the one you hold in your hand right now. A very rare and a special Bible. One of only three in existence. One of only three. So keep holding it. The Bible that they have at the Bible Museum in D.C. is called the Slave Bible. It was printed by the Missionary Society for the Conversion of Negro Slaves in the year 1808. It's labeled Holy Scripture on the front cover, but it is anything but. Because for Christian missionaries to convert enslaved African peoples to Christianity, they had to create a Bible, but they had to remove any verse that had any reference to freedom, to equality, or to resistance. So in the slave Bible, you can go see it in D.C., that Bible, in order for them to print that kind of Bible, they had to take out 90% of the Old Testament and 50% of the New Testament. So hold this in your hand for a second. Feel the weight of this Bible in your hand and imagine 90% of the majority of it disappearing. Imagine half of the story of Jesus Christ disappearing. And that's what we called the Bible. Think about that. Christian missionaries, people like you and me who wanted to share the story of Jesus with others. They said, oh, yeah, we want to share Jesus with you, but we don't want you to know about freedom. We don't want you to know about liberation. We don't want you to know about equality. We don't want you to know about resistance because we want you to do what we tell you to do. But we also want you to go to heaven. The slave Bible missing 90% of the Old Testament and 50% of the New. People like you and I made it. And what were we just singing? Come thou long expected Jesus born to set thy people free. All has, all is, and all will be made known to God. The reckoning, the judgment, there's nothing we can do to stop it. 
That's what John the Baptist is yelling about in this passage. He said the axe is at the roots of the tree. God is going to chop down every tree that doesn't bear fruit, and they're going to be thrown into the fire. This is frightening. It scares me. And thankfully, we're not quite there yet. But strangely enough, something has happened. The judge, of all things, is arriving and has arrived. Because the judge, his name is Jesus. To take a moment, if you can stand it, to think about your own sins, your own secrets. Not the sins of other people, not the, not the missionaries of the past who ruined the Bible. You know why there's only three left, by the way? They burned all of them. They were ashamed of what they had done. So don't think about them for a second. Think about yourself. Think about your own sins, your own secrets, the things you've done, the things you've left undone, the things you've said, the things you should have said but didn't. Just think on that for a moment. Not other people's. Just worry about yourself for a second. You don't need a preacher like me coming out with a finger and pointing at all of you. Think about your own sin. Everybody here knows your own. Just think about it for a second. Because in Advent... We have to think about the dark side of ourselves. We have to contemplate those things. Because stories like what we hear from John the Baptist, they bombard us with this horrible truth that all of those secrets, the things we're thinking about right now, there will come a time where all of us will be called before the throne of God and God will see us for who we really are. All of those secrets, all of those judgments, all of those sins, all of that darkness. But here is the craziness of the gospel. The judge, the one we often fear, is not at all like we imagine. Because our judge is filled with compassion. Our judge comes to us with wounds in his hands and in his feet. This is the greatest paradox preventing the faith. The judgment we hear about from the lips of John, it has already happened. It has taken place already in the body of the judge. Jesus Jesus is the judge who is to come, who has already given himself to be judged in our place. Vipers, animals, crucifixion, judgment. I know it's strange to hear those kinds of things during Advent when we'd rather be thinking about Frosty the Snowman. But it's even stranger to realize that Advent and the cross are so intertwined that they cannot be separated. Because that's the crazy thing. The baby we worship next Monday is the same one who was nailed to the cross. That perfect, cute, cuddly little baby in the manger is the same one who hangs on the cross for you and for me. So if Advent is the time for us to contemplate the dark side of ourselves, then this season it sheds light on the truth. Our sin, our brokenness is what nailed him to the tree. We really are the unrighteous. We really are the vipers. We are the ones for whom the Son of Man died. Because that's our Jesus. Both the cute and cuddly baby in the manger and the bloodied and beaten man on the cross. He is the one for whom we wait this time of year. And that's why John the Baptist is so right for us to hear. John reminds us that we are unworthy, but Jesus counts us worthy. John reminds us that we deserve judgment, but in Jesus we have found mercy. John reminds us that we are slaves to sin and death, but in Jesus we discover that we have been brought to righteousness and to freedom. So hear the good news, the very best news. 
Jesus' arrival from the womb and the tomb means that he will not let us remain as we are. He is the judged judge who stands in our place. He himself is the good news. So happy Advent, you filthy animals. I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God now and forever. Amen. Would you please pray with me? Lord, before you, all of our thoughts are known, all of our judgments, our preconceived notions, our hatreds, our fears, our everything. And in spite of the true darkness within each of us, you still sent your son to be judged in our place. There is no way we can ever fathom the truth and the depth and the height and the breadth of your love in doing such a thing. But help us to try, Lord. Help us to see that the baby in the manger is the same man on the cross. That the man who fed the 5,000 is the same who was beaten to the point of death. So that we might contemplate and begin to understand the true message of the gospel, that Jesus is the judged judge for us. Amen.